We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we've got a special show for you for only the third time in Big Blue Banter history. We have a guest on the show, and so we decided to dedicate this entire show to our guest appearance because, boy, did he deliver with the goods. We were lucky enough to have the Draft Network's Jordan Reed join the show to break down everything draft and how it relates to the Giants. And for those who don't know, Reed has made a meteoric rise up the draft ranks that started with him posting just simple breakdowns and content on draft Twitter and has since landed him a prime position as one of the Draft Network's team of analysts. Reed puts out, in my opinion, one of the most thorough draft guides out there, and he's gearing up to pub it soon. What I love most about his draft guide specifically is that he dives into each player's background with key facts about them as a person that you might not know. And remember, a lot of this draft process, especially for a team like the Giants, comes down to drafting the right person and not just the right prospect. That's very important for the Dave Gettleman New York Giants and for Mara and for this whole entire franchise. They want to build a certain culture here. So you know Reed probably from draft Twitter, but now you're going to get to know his thoughts as they relate to the draft and the New York football Giants. So without further ado, let's welcome Jordan onto the show. All right, joining us now is the one, the only Jordan Reed of the Draft Network. This man has made a meteoric rise up draft 
you know, up the draft uh, from the starting of draft Twitter and now all the way through with draft network. Uh, I've seen, you've seen him at the senior bowl. You've seen him everywhere. And in my opinion, he's one of the best in the game. Jordan, thank you so much for joining the show today. I want to see how you're doing with all this craziness. I know you have two little girls um, down in North Carolina. So how's everything with your family and how's it going with your draft prep? Well, first and foremost, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure being here. I always enjoy joining you two guys. Uh, You guys are two guys I really respect in the industry. But uh, everything is crazy right now, man, just from the pandemic that's going on right now and you know, radio interviews and still trying to turn out these scouting reports about guys and finishing up my draft guide. So uh, there's not enough hours in the day right now. I hear you. And you are one of the most thorough analysts that I know in the business. And for those who don't know, Jordan actually joined this podcast as one of the only, pretty much the only interview we've ever had. And we're looking to change that moving forward. But this was about a year ago, around this time, I think when it was still me and me and Nick Turchin doing the podcast. So if you want to hear about Jordan's story and about how he got into where he's at now, you know, coming from, you know, old school, a quarterback, he used to play the position. There's a lot of talk about that, which was a lot of fun. We had a good time with that, but also, you know, his thoughts on, you know, getting through the industry and getting to where he is now. Uh, take a look at, at the past podcast we put out and it's, it's, it's deep in there, but you'll find it if you look around this time last year. But today we're going to be talking about this year's draft, the 2020 NFL draft. And there's no better person to do it, I don't think, than with Jordan and Nick Flato. So, Nick, you haven't said much here. You want to ask Jordan our first question? Yeah, that sounds great. Jordan, my man, great to be on with you. So, first question. Remember, this is a New York Giants podcast. New York Giants have not exactly had the offensive line that we would have liked to have over the last many seasons, actually, now that I really think about it. But my first question to you, my friend, can you rank and break down the big four offensive tackles and do you really have a clear-cut ot5 or is there more just like a hodgepodge of a bunch of players there so with the strength of this or i would say one of the strongest positional groups in this class being offensive tackle i think you're better off kind of putting them in tiers i think that makes it much easier and i think of course you've already separated it into the top four and i mean i'll just start at the top in no particular order and just go down um, but, you know, just starting at the top with Makai Becton, the big offensive tackle from Louisville. Uh, actually, a funny story about Makai, my brother, my older brother is actually, he's a assistant at Louisville on the coaching staff, and he just kept begging me, like, man, you have to check out this kid that we got. Now, he said, just listen to me. He's 6'7", he's 300 and nearly, 380 pounds nearly. So I was like, man, there's no way he's going to be an NFL prospect weighing that much. And he was like, man, you just have to listen to me. And so he said Makai actually got his weight down last summer. Uh, when Coach Scott Satterfield took over last year, they did a terrific job with Makai. They put him on a diet plan. They got his weight down to about uh, 365 pounds, which is what he weighed at at the combine. And he was saying that the Notre Dame game, go back and watch the second quarter. He had a block against Julian Aquar, who was a defensive end for Notre Dame. And he came off to the sideline after that. It was the first game of the year. He came off to the sideline, and he looked at his hands and said, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> And after that point, he looked down. After that point, he just went on a tear. So that's just a funny story I like telling about Makai. But, I mean, he's the definition of a people mover, man. That's the first thing that you notice about his film. He's a bully. He loves finishing. He brings the physicality that you love to see from the position. He plays through the echo of the whistle. So just bringing that type of physicality in. The first thing that I say about Makai is that if you're looking to change the culture of your offensive line and you want somebody to build it around and you want to have an identity, 
I think Makai definitely is your guy. Now, he's not the most fluid guy in the world as far as some of the other guys in this draft, like a Tristan Wirfs or even an Andrew Thomas in a sense. But as far as how athletic he is for his size, I think he's terrific. And I think he's going to be a long-term pro, whether that's a left tackle or a right tackle. And I think something that a lot of people don't really understand about Makai is that what Bobby Petrino really messed up at with Makai is that depending on the strength of the play prior to last season, he would flip sides back and forth. So if they were running a run play to the right side, Makai would be a right tackle. And then vice versa, if they were running a play to the left side, he would flip over to left tackle. But last year he was able to stay at home at that left tackle spot. And you saw that he was really able to come into his own. So this really was his first year really focusing on just strictly left tackle. And we know that can be, that can bring some difficulties to, you know, especially from a pass protection standpoint, just because of the difficulties and the differentiation of the footwork from side to side. So I think his upside is phenomenal. And then the next guy is Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. We saw how well he performed at the combine. He was just terrific. And that's the first thing that really stands out about him. It's just his athleticism. And he's only played right tackle at Iowa, but early on in the year, they had an injury to Alaric Jackson, who's a tackle that's going to be coming out of there next year. He had a knee injury during the first two games of the year. And Tristan had to he had to start two games on the left side. So and he made a seamless transition. And that's why I say if, if you want to play him on the left side or the right side, it really doesn't matter. I think he's going to be a terrific pro. So I'm a big fan of Wirfs. He's not as powerful as some of the other guys in this class as far as, you know, on the field. Now, everybody's heard about the weight room and, you know, how he just extremely crushed all the Brandon Scherf's records there. But he's more of a finesse type. And that's not to say he's soft or anything like that, but he just doesn't finish as much as some of these other guys like a Jedrick Wills or Makai Becton in that sense. But he's going to be a fine pro, whether that's on the left or the right side. And then just finish up with the last two guys. A Jedrick Wills, a guy that's made a meteoric rise through the pre-draft process. And, you know, coming into the year, all you heard from Alabama as far as their offensive tackles was about Alex Leatherwood, who was their left tackle from this past year. He ended up going back to school. But coming into the year, he was pegged as the guy, the offensive lineman coming out of Alabama. We know Alabama has an offensive tackle coming out every single year. And Leatherwood was supposed to be that guy this year. But everybody started to notice this other guy on the right side. And he was terrific against, against Auburn. He was terrific against Clavon Chason in the LSU game. And then just starting to stack all these games together, he was putting together a terrific resume. So Wills is a guy that he's a fluid and active pass protector. He's absolutely disgusting in the running game as far as a run blocker. That's something that you really notice about him as well. So or Wills is my top offensive tackle right now. Uh, I have it Wills. I have it Wills, Wirfs, Thomas, and then Beckton for right now. And then I'll just talk about the last guy, Andrew Thomas, who kind of is the forgotten man in this class. And I love making analogies when I'm talking about prospects. And you hear about the new guys on the block, like Jedrick Wills, Wirfs, and even Beckton in a sense. But you have that old pretty girl at the school who you see every day in Andrew Thomas, and you kind of forget that she's over there just because <laughs> she's been so consistent, but she's always been there. And that's really what Andrew Thomas has been through the pre-draft process and people starting to nitpick him a little bit. So uh, that's just my breakdown of the top four. Love it. Love it, Jordan. And I'm sorry, Nick, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I absolutely love it. And I have that same exact ranking as of right now with Wills, Werfs, uh, uh, Thomas, and then Becton too. Like I, I just love Wills' feet and his ability to just move in space. And especially when it comes to uh, like as a pass protector, just up and down the arc, his just mirroring ability is just something that really entices me as a Giants fan because we have not had that kind of tackle in a very long time. But Jordan, uh, if the Giants tend, if the Giants go somewhere else in the draft, uh, top four, the fourth pick, they go somewhere else. Do you have a clear cut offensive tackle five, or is it, or is it just that tier like we were saying before? 
So my offensive tackle five right now is Josh Jones. Uh, he's the guy I like the most out of that second tier. Now the guys I would uh, that I would say are in that second tier, it'd be Josh Jones, uh, Lucas Niang from TCU, and then Austin yeah. Jackson uh, from USC, and also Prince Tegawanogo. He'd be another guy that I would put at the bottom of that second tier. So you have another four guys that I think should be firmly entrenched in that group. Uh, but just starting with Josh Jones, I'm a big fan of him. I love his resume, former basketball player, and that's something that you like to see from these offensive tackles just because it shows off their athleticism and what they can bring to the forefront. Four-year starter at when he was at Houston, uh, all on the left side. Um, so he doesn't have that back-and-forth positional versatility or side versatility that I like to say. He's only played on the left side, so he struggled a little bit with his projection on the right side. But he'd definitely would be the leader in that second tier. Yeah, a lot of interesting things to take away there, Jordan. Before we move to another position, there's still a lot I want to talk about here with you. So first interesting thing to me is that, you know, you are very aligned with what Nick has said on our podcast with Wills kind of moving to the top of the offensive tackle group as the OT1. And, you know, after our last podcast, when Nick kind of broke down that that's where he was leaning, I started to do a lot more digging into Wirfs versus uh, Wills, because prior to that, you know, I kind of considered Wirfs maybe the most safe prospect here, maybe not had the most upside, but the most safe. But, you know, after doing more digging and trying to watch these guys more and reading more and watching breakdowns from people like you, I've started to come around to Wills being the OT1 here because mostly because of, honestly, he just seems the smoothest in pass protection. He seems like he's the least bit liability there in pass protection. I think all of these guys can offer different things in the run game. And specifically when it comes to works, you know, we talk about his unbelievably athletic combine, maybe the most athletic combine by any offensive tackle ever. But, you know, Mekhi Becton wasn't too far behind, running a 5-1 at 364 pounds with 23 reps, almost 11-inch hands and 36-inch arms. Like, he was freakish, too, at the combine. So I don't want to put too much stock in that. And while I do like the prospect of Worfs getting out in space to block for Barkley on a screen, I don't think I'm going to, you know, let that take over my, my opinion there. So for me, I would say my rankings kind of at this point would be Wills 1, uh, Worfs to Becton three, and then Thomas still for me is four because I do I do kind of worry a bit about him being a little bit hidden behind a very run uh, play action heavy scheme there in Georgia. So and his combine was a little concerning to me. Not not necessarily you know things like the forty time that I don't put weight in for an offensive tackle Jordan, but just kind of the three cone drill and the and the short shuttle things like that where I was just like uh, I don't know if this will translate. But very interesting to hear your evaluations of these offensive tackles. And before I ask you about Josh Jones, who to me, uh, I also have as the OT5, I want to ask you about the big four. Do you feel like any of these four offensive tackles are, are worthy of the fourth overall pick in, a, in the sense that you wouldn't be reaching just because you need the position and more so you think they're one of the four best players in the class? So the one I will say I feel the most comfortable with taking fourth overall would be wheels and you got like I said I love using analogies just to help people better understand uh, these prospects he's what I like to call a clear package prospect so whenever you get a package on your door and it comes in clear wrapping you know exactly what you're getting Hmm. as soon as you pick it up and that's exactly what I know Jedrick Wills is going to be he's already played on the right side which is a huge need for the Giants at that right tackle spot I don't have to worry about uh, you know him making a transition from the right side to the left side or whatever vice versa he's already played that he's only played that and I know the skills that he brings to the forefront are going to translate right away immediately. So Jedrick would be the one I feel the most comfortable with. Now, the one who potentially could be a home run as opposed to these other guys being a double or a triple right. is Tristan Wirth, just because of his athletic upside and his ability 
and him still being a young prospect, he's only going to be a 21-year-old rookie as well. So I would feel the most comfortable with taking wheels, but the guy I think could have the most upside and the best career looking back on it 10 years from now, it wouldn't surprise me if Wirfs is that guy. Yeah, I love that call, Jordan, because for, for starters, you know, a lot of what I was kind of concerned with with Wirfs now that I've gone back and watched him more are things that you hope, you think, can be fixed with good coaching. And that may be something the Giants look at and say, listen, we get him in our system, we start coaching him. He's the one we want because he's the one with the upside. So definitely interesting to, to talk about, Jordan. But I want to get your take on the player who I personally would take at number four overall. This is a player who I think is the second best player in this draft, not including quarterback position. Um, so can you break down Isaiah Simmons' game and where he can play in the NFL? You know, is he worthy of a top four pick to you? Yeah, and I'm really asked. I'm really glad you guys asked me about that just because every Giants fan wants to know, do we take Isaiah Simmons at four or do we take one of these offensive tackles? And I think with Isaiah Simmons, the biggest thing that I say about him is that you have to have a plan for him just because he's a positionless prospect. He's not a linebacker. He's not a safety. He's not an edge rusher. He's really all of the above just because he can dip his hand in every single pot and have an effect in all of those in all those positions. And that's exactly what Brent Venables was able to deploy him as when he was at Clemson. So you were able to see his total value. Now, with Isaiah Simmons, I think some of the players we've seen in years past, whether it's Obi Melifonwu, Mark Barron, or even a throwback name in Taylor Mays, something that really wasn't in their corner is that they were never coupled with a creative defensive coordinator that can use them or that could utilize all of their assets. They were just pegged as being a, just a linebacker or just a safety. So with Isaiah Simmons, you just have to make sure you have a plan for him. But as far as what he brings to the table, a guy that's supremely athletic, you can use him as a blitzer. You can use him at, in coverage. He, he's covered the slot. He's played outside corner before. He can play on the roof of the defense, which he showed in the college football playoff when he had an interception against Ohio State. And he can also come down and play strong safety in the box as well. So he's continuously checking all these boxes that you're looking for in a positionless prospect. But once again, I go back to you have to have a clear, defined plan for him. Otherwise, you're not going to see his ability. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I understand that entirely. And I think you have to trust the coaching staff to have a plan for him, especially a coaching staff with the Giants coming in with Patrick Graham, who, you know, has deployed a similar, not, not a similar type system, but in the sense that he's used those second level and third level defenders in very interesting ways in the past with the Dolphins. And then, you know, he's been with the Patriots, so he's seen different ways to use those players in the past. And I just want to say this about Isaiah Simmons. He's, he's, it's not just athleticism with Simmons. It's not just him flashing, uh, you know, doing all of those things, being able to, you know, overwhelm a running back in pass protection as a blitzer blitz off the edge at times play the deep half and you know match up against safeties it's the production was there too which really stands out to me the most 107 tackles eight sacks 10 pass breakups three interceptions he was the sixth all uh, unanimous all-american in clemson history ever um so you know you can talk about for me i can talk about simmons forever like he's a freak athlete and unlike you know you mentioned taylor mays that's an awesome throwback jordan but with mays for me, you know, he did have the size-speed combination, the straight-line speed, but he couldn't bend and move uh, right. laterally like Simmons could. And that was always his problem. And for me, Simmons can do that. So to me, he's – is it crazy to say that he's the second – when I say he's, the, in my opinion, the second-best non-quarterback in the draft, is that crazy for you to hear because he kind of, you know, is so dependent on getting in the right system and with a good coaching staff? No, not at all. And if we're just talking about strictly ability alone and the way I rank guys is who do you see being the best at their position right away? And Isaiah Simmons is definitely one guy. And we talk about Chase Young and Jeffrey Okuda. I think those three alone, you could see both of those guys being potential all pro type of players right away, whether that's their rookie or even their second year. So I have no problems with you saying that at all.
Well, I, I love to hear that, Jordan, because it makes me feel like I'm, I'm not going crazy here. Uh, Nick, Nick, <laughs> want to dive into another question with Jordan real quick? I do, and I want to touch on Isaiah Simmons uh, just a little bit. Another part of his game that a lot of people aren't talking about because he has all these athletic attributes is his mental processing and his ability to kind of see things break down. I was watching, uh, when I was studying Makai Becton, I watched uh, his game against Clemson, and just having the pleasure of seeing number 11 wearing orange just fly around the field and diagnose plays and go into the backfield at the right time, utilize all of those traits, those mental traits, those football IQ traits. It's something that... uh, I would just love to see him blue, to be honest. But uh, if the Giants, since we brought up Chase Young before, Giants may not get Chase Young in this draft, as a lot of Giants fans want to chase Young. So, Jordan, who is your edge two in this class, and do, does he have a first-round grade for you? And to piggyback off that, if the Giants go edge at 36, which edge prospect do you think would uh, best fit the Giants? So my edge two in the draft class is actually Kalevon Chason. He's the guy I feel most comfortable with. And I think this is a decent edge class overall. It just depends on what flavor that you like. Just because there's three, four guys, there's four or three guys, and there's a bunch of different variations. So I have a Kalevon Chason. I'm a big fan of him. I like the explosiveness that he brings to the table. I think that's one of the best factors about him. And he, he actually injured his ACL. He tore his ACL in 2018, so we weren't able to see him. He tore it during the first game of the year against Miami. But he came back. He looked even better this year. And he had one of my favorite answers, just talking to prospects. And I asked him. It was the very first question of his podium session at the Combine. I just told him to address the misconceptions out there about him as a run defender. And basically he said, when you're hiring somebody, do you want somebody that speaks three languages or one language? He said, I can defend a run. I can rush the passer, and I also can drop back and cover. So I thought that was a really cool answer from him. Yeah, I love that, Jordan. And I think one of the biggest, I guess, fallacies is not may not may not be the best word here, but one of the worst things you can do when evaluating these prospects in any draft class is focus on the negatives. This is something somebody taught me a long time ago when I started studying the draft. It's focus on what these players can do best. Don't focus on the little negatives. So with Chase on, that's that's interesting to think about. You know, people are harping on this run defense, things like that. But one thing I wanted to ask you about before we move past this on Chase on, there's some people who talk about, you know, I haven't had a chance to really break down his tape. So so I this is why I'm asking this question. I want to be informed about it, Jordan. And some people say that, he, you know, it's it's not it's the consistency issue more so with Chase on. Do you see that or is that not something that stands out to you? Oh, so the thing about him is that he actually would get in the backfield, but he just didn't finish plays. And that's why his pressure numbers are always really high. But his sack and tackle for loss numbers are always really low just because he's so explosive. He gets up the field right now, but he would simply just run past the quarterback and he just wouldn't finish plays. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons why his sack numbers were so low. And he still had six and a half last year, which is still okay. But you're looking for a little bit more, especially from a first round guy. So it's not a huge concern for me just because it's not like he's not getting home at all but he's getting there. He's just not finishing plays. Okay, that's fair. All right, I want you to give us your favorite day three sleeper. It could be any position, and if you have more, you can do a little rapid fire, but if you just have one you want to expound on, your favorite day three sleeper. Oh, man, I have quite a bit. Um, (laughs) So my first one probably would be, um, let's see, who do I want to talk about first? I would say I don't know if he's going to go day three, uh, just because of what happened or his traits. But Jabari Zuniga from Florida, I think he could go in the third or fourth round. A guy that's just an absolute freak as far as a height, weight, size, speed um, department. He's about 6'3", about 270 pounds, but he ran 4'6". But his production just was lacking last year just because he was battling an ankle injury. And one position that I big on, you know, maybe the production was lacking, 
But if you match the traits, maybe you could get something out of them. I think edge rusher is definitely one area where you could do that. And Daniel Hunter is a great example of that from a few years ago uh, coming out of LSU. And that's not to say yep. Zuniga is going to be any type of that. But I think of any position where you can just match the analytics up, maybe for a lack of production at the position, I think edge rusher definitely is one that you could do that. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State is one name that I like. And he's not a guy that's super fast or anything like that. But as far as a savvy guy that understands how to get open, very strong hands, a little bit of a slinky frame, but he plays above the rim. And he, his route running is so well, well seasoned and diverse. I just love that about him. Uh, then another name is Devin Duvernay from Texas. He's yeah. one, another, another slot guy that I like a lot, built like a tank, um, low stature, very, very strong hands. That's something that you know, notice about him. A former track guy, so he has the speed that you're looking for. But I love how well diverse he is as far as in the open field when he gets the ball after the catch. That's something that you notice about him. So Duvernay is definitely one name to keep an eye on. Now let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or... Let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online, which is awesome, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, American Idol, Big Brother, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Love it, and I love the Zuniga call because that was a player that me and Nick talked about a lot on the Senior Bowl recap, or I'm sorry, on the Combine podcast where we recap. We but we kind of, it's funny you mentioned it, Jordan, because if you went back and heard it, you'd hear that we also made the Hunter comparison, not comparison, but just brought up that idea, that thought, and it's similar to it's a similar concept there was an good there's untapped potential there and especially at that edge position you could really hit a home run like the obviously the Vikings did in the 2015 draft when they took um when they took Hunter at 80 I think it was 88th overall they got Hunter at which was an unbelievable value obviously so that's an awesome call I'm really happy you mentioned that a few more rapid fire ones Nick wants to go into real quick with you yeah, Jordan, I got a couple rapid fire for you right here, my man. Can you give us your favorite day two prospect for the following positions? We're just going to go with tackle, center, off-ball linebacker, single high safety, and edge. So I'll start with offensive tackle. Um, I'm a big fan of Prince Tego with no-go from Auburn. Now, he's a bit raw in a sense, but he already has what you're looking for. from a, from a uh, He already has what you're looking for, excuse me, from a pass protection standpoint. And I think that's something that you really have or you don't uh, entering the NFL. It's really hard to teach guys the pass protection standpoint just because of how hard the sequence of everything is, the footwork that is associated with it, and then the hand timing that is associated with it as well. And he already has that down. Now, he needs some he needs some seasoning as far as a run, def- or run uh, executor, I should say. He has some deficiencies that he needs to work through. As, as a run blocker, but I like what I like his baseline traits entering the league. Uh, so uh, that's that's the big thing that I like about Tegawa Nogo. What was the other position that you said? Excuse me. Uh, yes, uh, center, and then uh, off-ball linebacker, deep half safety, and edge. So edge. center. Edge, Jordan, if you want. <laughs> that's what you guys need. So. That's um, true. 
I'll go to Edge. Uh, there's one guy named Travis Gibson from Tulsa who's kind of a deep sleeper right now. Um, he was okay at the combine. I thought he would test a little bit better than what he did, but I like what he brings to the forefront in that area. He'll probably go in the fourth or fifth round. I think that's a fair range for him. Um, another one that I like is Jonathan Garvin from Miami. Um, he, he's a bigger guy, about 6'4", about 260, 65 pounds, but he was extremely productive when he was at Miami, but he's another guy that's in a similar mold as what we talked about with Zuniga. They essentially play with their arms cut off. In a sense, they just don't really know how to use some of the tools that they already have in the tool shed. So I like what Garvin does bring to the table. Nice. And then how about just day two, for day two at that 36 pick? Who do you love at center? Do you have any centers, maybe off-ball linebackers or, or, or you know, single high deep half safeties you like? So one guy that I've paid consistently in my mock drafts uh, to the Giants, his name is Zach Bond from Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. And he played edge rusher for the most part at Wisconsin, but I don't think he's going to play that on the next level. I really would like to see how he would transition to off-ball linebacker just because he already shows the traits that you're looking for. And then funny story about Zach is that he actually was a quarterback when he came to Wisconsin. That's what he played in high school. So he made, he made the transition to linebacker the other side of the ball. But that football IQ and just understanding what offenses are trying to do, you can tell that he already has that already instilled in his brain. That's why he was able to read and react so well when he was at Wisconsin. But he was one of the better athletes on the field, so they just used him at edge rusher. So I would like to see him and how he would transition to off ball linebacker. I think that would be a really good fit for him in New York. Now, we'll see if he does last to that 36 pick. I think he's a guy that could be a sleeper. First-round prospect wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes in the back half of the first round. So – We'll see what does happen with that. And then another guy at center, I would say, um, his medicals have kind of been spotty, and that's really why his name has really went to the wayside, Tyler Biotish from Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. um, a guy I've kind of really struggled with projecting just because he looked so good in 2018, but he just didn't look like the same person just yep. because he was battling some injuries. Durability is a big concern with him, but he's a guy that could be a steal, and we've seen how well these Wisconsin offensive linemen have transitioned to the NFL in years past. And you guys know the names. I mean, we could sit here and reel off names all day from some of the guys that have transitioned well from that program. And I think I think Biotis definitely could be a steal, whether that's in the third or fourth round. I think that's a range he could go or he could go even later just because of the durability concerns. And then how about any deep half safety? Because the Giants really, in my opinion, th these are the positions they I think they need the most. They need someone who's able to play single high there. And that's something I think is really hard to find in any draft class. There's a couple guys that have caught my attention, but I'm curious if there's any that you would use, you know, that 36 pick on or that 99th pick up, anything like that. Yeah, so this is kind of a really challenging group as far as a deep half. I don't think it's really deep in that area. Grant Delpit is one name, of course, we've heard that I think is going to have to play free safety. He's one name that definitely could slip to the Giants at 36. That would not surprise me just because of the challenges that he faced last year. The tackling is something that's consistently brought up about him. but. Yep. One name that I actually do like now, I think 36 will be kind of early for him, but if they want to pick him in the third round, his name is Terrell Burgess from Utah. Yeah. Um, a, a guy that's played, he's played nickel corner. He's played outside corner. He can play deep safety as well. I thought his film was absolutely terrific at Utah. And we know how, how great that defense was a year ago. And it, I'm not scared of saying this at all. I think he was the best player on that defense. And that includes Bradley and I and Licky Fotu and some of the wow. other names that we have heard. On that defense, I think Burgess, and I, I sent out a tweet yesterday actually with his name in it, and his, his film is so good. And I think the thing that helps him translate the best is that he's had such experience at so many different positions. He's played all five positions. He's played outside corner. He's played nickel. 
He's played strong and free safety and also what's called rover overhang in that defense as well. So I think he could survive as a deep half guy, but I think where he probably will flourish the most is at nickel. And I know the Giants don't have a huge need at nickel, but he's a guy that you can interchange in so many different positions. I love it, Jordan. There's so much you talked about there that, you know, really stands out to me. For starters, I mean, anyone who's listened to our podcast knows that you don't have to even mention Zach Bond. He's probably been the most talked about prospect on this podcast, um, <laughs> partially partially because I'm a Wisconsin grad and I've seen every single snap of his career. Um, so to me, I actually think he even has a shot on the edge, honestly. I mean, he was unbelievable on the edge for Wisconsin last year against any offensive tackle he faced pretty much um, has a really good variety of moves but yeah he could have even more upside off ball and then Biotis is an interesting call because obviously the injuries played a key factor last year and you'd be stupid to count him out now based on like you said you know there's a lot of really good Wisconsin offensive linemen who transitioned to the NFL and for me I'm just not big on Ruiz in this draft class I know he's you know often talked about as the OC one but I, I for for the Giants there's just been too many of those you know, pass pro first centers they've tried out here. I think they really need someone who can anchor down and really has a lot of play strength and functional strength at the center position. So that's who I would be targeting. All right, Jordan, this is a question from the listeners. Stu Hines asked, and this is an interesting one which really stood out to me. Can you talk about, in your, from your perspective, what attributes in an offensive tackle prospect translate to the most success in the NFL? And what attributes in great OTs do you see in the NFL that you also saw from them at the college ranks? So that's a really good question, just because I think the first thing that you under, you have to understand is that just understanding what type of offensive tackle they are. And what I mean by that is you have to understand the scheme that they're in. Are they in a downhill scheme or what's called a man or a gap blocking power scheme, which means that they're just trying to get a body on a body and just maul people? Or are they in a zone scheme where they're trying to beat guys with angles and beat guys to spots? And that's really how they, that's really how they fixate their body in order to create running lanes. So, just figuring out what type of scheme that they're in. And then you go from there with the type of offensive tackle they are. And the next thing that I look for is awareness. You have to be aware at offensive tackle just because you have nobody on your right or left side, depending on which tackle position that they're in. And their position is so unique from the others just because you're sandwiched in between two other guys, whether that's at center or guard. But at offensive tackle, you're on an island by yourself. And then when you get exposed, everybody sees it. Just because whenever somebody gets beat, you're the first person that they point to just because you're on an island by yourself. So uh, just awareness and then footwork. I think that's another factor that comes into the forefront with the offensive tackle. How fluid are their, are their feet in pass protection? Are they a bit of a laborer, which means their feet are heavy and they're not able to mirror and match guys with their movements? Are they patient and poised in their pass set or do you see them as a waist bender and a head ducker? So those are just some of the qualities that I look for. Yeah, Jordan. I mean, that's excellent information right there. And Jordan, as we know, the draft is a very fluid process and our opinions change. And that's how you kind of grow as an evaluator. And I just wanted to ask you, what player have you changed your opinion on the most since the start of the draft process up until now? It's a really good question. There's been quite a few guys. Um, obviously, the Giants don't need a quarterback, but Justin Herbert definitely is one guy that I've flip flopped back and forth quite a bit on. And I think there's a kind of a huge discrepancy between draft Twitter and then some personnel departments just based on some scouts that I know in the injury industry and that they actually like Herbert and you just have to understand exactly what he was dealing with. And it kind of was a square peg in a round hole in that yep. offense, just because Oregon's offense really was, it operates side to side. There's a bunch of quick screens. Um, they like to get the running back out of the backfield and give them some screens. And there's a lot of perimeter throws in that offense, but Herbert is a guy that you want to go down the field vertically with. And, 
the Cal game, I think, was a great example of that. And he made some mistakes in the Cal game, but he made some really good throws down the field in that game. That's really where you got to see his arm strength. He was really able to show that off. So Herbert definitely is one guy that I went back and forth on. And I'm actually a big fan of Herbert. I think his best days are ahead of him. But he has to be in a offense that really allows him to attack the deeper portions of the field as opposed to so much side-to-side like he had to do at Oregon. I love that call, Jordan, because Herbert's a guy who I had the exact same process with. Uh, you know, at the end of last year when the Giants needed a quarterback, I was praying this guy would enter the draft, and I was sure the Giants were going to take him if he did, maybe even trade up for him. And then I watched him in 2019 throughout the season, and I was really disappointed. And I kind of, you know, dropped him to the point point. I said, you know, if he can't make these big throws in big spots, what are we getting here? But, you know, as I look back at it and I come around to it, I really do believe what you said is the most important thing to take away. He was miscast in that Oregon, in that Oregon system. That was not a fit for his skill set. And when I look at Justin Herbert, his entire skill set, Jordan, and you can tell me if this is crazy, but I see someone who you can really build a system around similar to what the Bills did with Josh Allen. It might sound crazy, but go watch Herbert. He can run, and he's big, and he's strong, and he can make those downfield throws with the best of them. He has awesome arm talent. To me, I see him as Josh Allen with a lot more upside as a passer. And that, to me, is somebody who I would take for sure, based on what we've seen You know, the Bills get out of Allen, even with his inconsistencies so far as a passer. That's someone I would take in the top 10, top five, for sure. So uh, I'm happy you mentioned that. Um, the senior bowl has been a big one for the Giants, Jordan, ever since Gettleman jumped on board. So I was curious if there was any player or maybe even a few players who stood out to you the most during that week. Yeah, I think the small school guys were the ones that stuck out to me the most. And that's something that you want to see uh, for the small school guys is just how they're going to adjust to the speed of the game just because – they're seeing players now from the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, all these different schools that have uh, that are known for power, being power five. And, of course, they're having the best of the best. So guys like Ben Barch, the offensive tackle from St. John's, Minnesota, I thought was terrific. And he matched up against guys like Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings from Alabama. And he's stymied them all the time in pass protection. I thought he was really good. And he suffered an injury during the final day. It was really unfortunate just because I thought of any prospect there. He probably was having the best week. And then, you know, just talking about some safeties. I know the Giants have a huge need at safety. There was two small school guys that really stuck out to me. Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. I was wild just seeing him in person down on the field watching him practice. Every bit of 6'3", 220 pounds. Uh, He's a big guy up close. But he started off as an outside corner when he was at Southern Illinois. And then he transitioned playing more of a strong safety role. Has outstanding ball production. He had three-plus interceptions every year when he was playing for the Salukis, and that's something that you look for in these defensive backs. Now, are they just guys that can stop plays, or are they getting what I like to call the cherry on the top with the turnover? So that's something that he was able to get. And then Kyle Duggar, who was terrific as well. They used him all over the place. He started the week as a free safety, but I thought he looked more comfortable in the strong safety position where he was able to be deployed as a blitzer and then a run defender off of the edge. But he was surprisingly well in coverage, and that was one of the biggest questions that I had about him just because he played on the roof so much when he was at Lenore Ryan. But I thought Chin and Duggar were excellent in the Mobile. Love that. Love those two calls, Jordan. For me, I'm not actually sold that either could be the deep half safety, but I also feel that you can use these type, as many of these type of players as you can possibly get on a defense, considering 75% of the snaps are more or nickel or, con- or 80% in sub package. And these guys can be played in any defense and, and numerous guys. Actually, for me, though, I've come around to kind of liking Chin a lot more than Duger, even though it's kind of the consensus leans the other way. 
Um, for me, I think Chin is the, is the better prospect, and I think he's the better fit for the Giants as well in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see if either of those guys make it to the Giants. All righty. Hey, Jordan, if you were the general manager, David Gettleman of the New York Giants, give us your perfect blueprint for days one and two. Oh, you guys put me on the spot. Put me in the hot seat. Um, so for me, um, I would take Isaiah Simmons at number four just because I think what he brings to the table and with how deep this offensive tackle class is, I think he could still come back at 36 and get maybe not a guy that has as much upside as the top four, but as far as, you know, pegging them at that right tackle spot and still being a productive player at that spot, I think they could get the same type of success from that. So I would take Isaiah Simmons at four, and you're not going to find another player with his type of skill set and versatility in this class. And we know the Giants just need somebody on the second level. And I know they signed Blake Martinez, but they just need another guy that has those athletic traits that you're looking for. The Alex Ogletree experiment is just a complete failure. <laughs> and they need that second-level guy that is so athletic that can run with some of these guys in the NFC East just because there's so much talent in the backfield in that division as well. So I think getting a guy like Isaiah Simmons they can just deploy all over the field would be really good. And then you come back in the second round and you get a guy like Lucas Niang from TCU, Ooh. I think would be a terrific pick. A guy that's been a three-year starter when he was there. Go back and watch his 2018 tape. Don't watch his 2019 tape just because he was dealing with a really bad hip injury that he has had surgery since. He played four games last year, but he just didn't like himself for obvious reasons. You can tell that everything was just stressful for him just because he was battling the, the labrum tear in his hip from a year ago. But go watch him against Ohio State in 2018. He completely shut out Chase Young and Nick Bosa the entire game. I thought he was terrific. So a peg in the yang at that right tackle spot. And then we're going to go ahead and take Terrell Burgess in the third round to satisfy that deep safety need. So getting Isaiah Simmons, I think, would be a great pick. Lucas Niang, you have your day one starting right tackle to to fit in with that uh, offensive tackle group opposite of Nate Solder. And then you have your deep safety and Terrell Burgess to pair with Jabril Peppers. I love it, Jordan. Absolutely love it there. I mean, Listen, there's a lot of people who are, who are dead set on going offensive tackle in round one, but Dave Gettleman's never drafted an offensive tackle in round one. And there's a lot of interesting guys you meant that we talked about and passed round one at the offensive tackle position. Yang's a perfect example of somebody who is really OT, you know, really a first round OT upside. Like you said, you're getting, you're buying at the discounted rate because of the injury. Those are the type of players I love whose draft stock is kind of impacted by you know, things that you may not see if you're not watching him or if you're not following him on a daily basis, but things that certainly impact his play. And that's a great call. I mean, if you look back at that Ohio State game, which now I'm going to go ahead and do, Jordan, based on what you said, I want to see how he did go- match up against Bosa and Young, who were both on the field for them in 2018. So awesome stuff as always, Jordan. Really appreciate you joining the show with us. And, you know, good luck with the rest of the draft season. And, you know, just march forward. We're almost there. No problem. Thank you guys for having me on as always. Well, that was one hell of an interview, Nick. I certainly learned a lot. And as that's pretty much always when I talk to Jordan, both on the podcast, on Twitter and DMs, whenever we have our discussions, I feel like I come away with it learning a lot. And there's a lot that he expressed that, honestly, I would love to expound on, Nick. So, you know, you know what, Nick, let's go ahead and dive into a little bit more of that on the next podcast. I'm going to make a little bit of a mental note of that right now. Let's just keep that in mind. Anyway, for those fans of the show, we really hope you enjoyed the interview with Jordan Reed. As always, if you can do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes, make sure you hit that download button on every podcast. Hell, you can even unsubscribe and resubscribe to our podcast if you want to help game the system with us. Just kidding, but maybe not. But we'll take it. Have a great rest of your week, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. To be continued.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.